And it sort of starts, uh, we'll start at verse 21. Um, and this, this is kind of a, a, a bit of a breakup, but um, it's, it starts with, is the Lord therefore opposed to the promises of God? It's almost like, hey, what have we missed here? Uh, there's, a, there's almost a conclusion there. Uh, but to read the rest would have been long, and then Fred would have needed two hours to preach to us this morning. Not going to do that. So is the Lord therefore opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised being given through faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Before the coming of of this faith, we were held in custody under the law, locked up until the faith that was to come would be revealed. So the law was our guardian until Christ came, that we might be justified by faith. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. So, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is uh, subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Thank you, Fred. I'd like to add a little bit of a scripture reading to what Eric has just read. The main emphasis on, is on, uh, on Galatians, but I'd like to, to start with, um, with the Gospel of Luke chapter 2. Verse 21. That's just following up on the, on the story of the birth of Jesus and the shepherds and he saw the Christmas story. And after that, we find in that, that, uh, that verse 21 a special event happening. And I'll read it to you what happens. It says, On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. I don't know how it is with you, but usually I hear so many Christmas carols in December that by now I'm glad it's all over for another year. It's not that I can't rejoice in a baby in a manger who is the Son of God, but it's all the, all the romance and especially all the commerce around it that tires me. 
This morning, I want to ask your attention once again for that baby born in Bethlehem. But there is nothing romantic about this part of the Christmas story. Baby Jesus is presented for circumcision. Though it's only a small traditional operation, in his case, it's different because it speaks about why baby Jesus came to this world. He came to die a violent and cruel death. And if we think of that, all the romanticism about this cute little baby in a manger soon evaporates. It diverts our attention to what is really exciting. So our theme, and hopefully it's still there. No, it's not there anymore. Well, it's been there for a moment. Simon, can you put it up once again? Jesus submits to the law to redeem us from the law. It was on the eighth day after his birth that Jesus was circumcised, tells Luke. For many centuries, the church has celebrated this event as the Feast of Circumcision. And the eighth day after Christmas happens to be the first of January. Now, it's not immediately clear to us why they would dedicate a feast day to this fact. We feel circumcision is something of the Old Covenant, It's a Jewish thing. So why should a Christian church see reason for celebration of this fact of Jesus' circumcision? And I believe that that we find the beginning of an answer to that question in Galatians 4, verse 4. We just read it. And it says this, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law. God sent his son, he was born from the Virgin Mary, and his name is Jesus. Well, that's Christmas, of course. But Paul explains about that fact. Jesus was born under the law, and that means he had to fulfill all that the law required. And apparently, that has something to do with us today. Namely, that we would be redeemed. So, that's our topic for this morning. What does it mean for us to be redeemed from the law? Now, to redeem someone is to to pay for someone's liberation. Someone who had been a prisoner is now set free. In other words, the very fact that Jesus was born under the law, and that he therefore fulfilled all the law's requirements, has set us free from the obligation to do any of that. Now, one of the requirements of the law was that every boy should be circumcised. So let's have a look again at Luke 20, verse uh, 21 of like Luke 2. On the A day, when it was time to circumcise him, and it was time to circumcise him. It was no question to Joseph and Mary whether Jesus had to be circumcised. Of course he should. But should he really? 
Israelite boys had to be circumcised to make them part of God's people. But Jesus is the son of God. What's the point in circumcising him? Do you remember the reluctance of John the Baptist to baptize Jesus? Everybody needs to be baptized for the forgiveness of their sins, of course. But not Jesus, thought John. Rightly so. But then Jesus tells him, John, it is fitting for me to fulfill all righteousness. And the same thing applies here. So let's have a, have a closer look. This circumcision was a small operation on the male member of Israelite boys, eight days old. The foreskin was full, pulled forward a bit and then cut off. Now the Lord had chosen this operation as a symbol for spiritual purification from sin. And in that sense, Jesus did not need this. He is without sin. No need for cleansing. And actually it would be an insult to Jesus if he would equate his circumcision with the circumcision of all the other boys in Israel. It, it may look the same, but the meaning of it is very different. For centuries, circumcision, circumcision meant this. God saying, I will be your God, I accept you as my child, and all that hinders us in our relationship is your sins. But I will cut them out like your foreskin is cut away. Now, how could God make such a promise? He could do that because he knew that one day someone would pay for this free offer of forgiveness. One day a redeemer will come. And he will pay for the sins of every believing Israelite, for the whole debt that they had clocked up in their relationship with the Lord. Now this promise of God, friends, is the basis of the whole old covenant. All that God had to offer, all that he had to give, forgiveness of sins, and protection of the life, all these things, it all depended on Jesus and the coming of Jesus. That's why the Old Testament always speaks about Jesus. And if you don't read that, if you don't understand that, you have not a clue what, what the Old Testament is actually saying. You read it with a veil over your face, like the Jews are still doing. That's what the Apostle Paul says. Now back to Jesus' own circumcision. Also his circumcision speaks about payment with blood. But the difference is that this time, it's not about a payment to be made by someone else. We'd rather say in Jesus' circumcision, he actually makes his first payment for the sins of others. The blood that he loses in his circumcision is the first drip of his own blood, which one day will be poured out totally. So for an Israelite boy, circumcision was a symbol promising life. For Jesus, it's a symbol foreshadowing his coming death. So friends, let's not forget that it's not Jesus' birth that brings us redemption. 
It is his death. And that's why for the church, Good Friday and Easter is the real festive season. Not Christmas. You think about it. In conclusion, Jesus did not need this circumcision for himself. But by having it done to him, he began to fulfill the law that ultimately would end in him being cursed by the law. See, the law said, cursed are you if you do not live according to this law. And Jesus didn't deserve that curse at all. But he took it voluntarily upon himself so that he could take that curse away from us. And friends, that's the most liberating message of the whole Bible. See, Israel couldn't live according to the law. But we can't either. But the gospel is, we don't have to do it. Jesus did it. And he did it until even the smallest letter of the law was fulfilled. So that we are redeemed from the law. And that is what Paul is on about in his letter to the Galatians. Over and over again he emphasizes that as Christians we are not controlled by the law. We are free from it. Doesn't mean that we can be much more easygoing with the requirements of the law. Not at all. But God aimed actually at the opposite of that. He was not satisfied with what the law could achieve in someone. Because God wants, the Bible says, he wants to perfect us. And therefore, he gave us a better covenant than the old one. The old covenant being the one that came with the Ten Commandments. But we do not live now with a lower standard than the law. We actually have a higher standard to live by. We are not to become like Abraham or like Moses or like David or even like John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the least one in God's kingdom. That's what Jesus is. That means all those after them who enter into the new covenant grow further in being the person that God wants them to be than, than John the Baptist ever was. Why is that? Because we are to become like Jesus himself. The son of God. The man without sin. He is our standard. That is the highest thinkable for a human being. The highest standard you can think of. But because of our sinful nature, we do have a problem here. Sure, we fail to reach this standard time and again. But God is gracious. And every time we have fallen short, he will raise up again upon repentance but in the meantime the biggest problem is that we are inclined to lower our standards as Christians or to put it into other words 
we are naturally inclined to return to the law. To the law of the Ten Commandments, of if that seems too much for us, we set our own standards of we think which is achievable in Christian life. And then we are pretty satisfied if we have kept our own standards. But that, friends, is no more than legalism all over again. And it blocks our spiritual growth. It freezes up as Christians. It keeps us babes in Christ, unspiritual people. It's so important that we understand these things. Otherwise, in our confusion, we live just like Old Testament people, Old Covenant people. And we miss out on the great blessings that the New Covenant has brought us. See, one of the biggest differences between believers in the Old Testament and believers in the New Testament is that the conscience of Christians is set free from the sense of guilt. We should hold on to that. The Jews didn't have that in the Old Testament. They, they brought their sacrifices to be reconciled with God, surely. But their consciences still burdened them. And they knew that he had to come again and again to seek forgiveness. But a Christian who lives in the new covenant has received a new heart. And there are new desires in him. And that is why he doesn't need a law anymore. See, you can easily pick it up. If, if people say that they do certain things and you, and you wonder whether it's the right thing to do for a Christian, then people say, well, what's wrong with doing that? The moment someone says that, he betrays that he doesn't understand these things, that he is a legalist in his heart. What's wrong with it? The question is not for us what's wrong with things. The question is what's right with things we do. Are we behaving like Jesus? Can we be thankful for what God gives us through him? In the new covenant, we've received a new heart. And new desires. And that's why we do not need the law anymore. These standards are too low for us. We are beyond that. We have to become like Jesus. That is much more than leaving certain things out because the law said you're not allowed to. And Paul explains that over and over again to the Galatians. Because they had fallen into that very trap. And Paul is totally amazed at the Christians in Galatia. He can't believe it. He said, these people have received the Holy Spirit. They had experienced miracles. The biggest miracle being the conversion of their own hearts. The love of God had been poured out in their hearts by the Holy Spirit. He said, don't you remember that? Well, of course they remember that, but they had somehow forgotten the, the importance of it all. Because now they have been Christians for a while. Certain people came in and said, but you have to keep God's laws. Otherwise you lose what you have. And the Galatians said, is that so? You might be right. Oh, we should keep the law then. Because ultimately it's God's law, so the law is good. Well, that sounds so good and it sounds so reasonable. 
And the Galatians fell for it. And we all fall for it at times. That, that we put our Christian life in a nice set of rules that we think we can keep. But soon enough, we discover we cannot even keep the standards we have set ourselves. And then we either accept that and we start backsliding further or we become desperate every time we have sinned and we are burdened with guilt. We feel so condemned by the law. And we make a commitment to try harder. Friends, that's not from God. Feeling condemned is not by the Holy Spirit. Feeling convicted is by the Holy Spirit. And if you live, live that way, then you become desperate. And you make a commitment to try harder. That is substandard Christian living. It's just returning to the law that you have been set free from. Now we start our scripture reading in Galatians 3, verse 21. Let's turn to that again. I'm reading from the old NIV. Eric was reading, I think, from the newest uh, NIV, so it sounded a little bit different, but it doesn't matter too much. In this paragraph, Paul ex- attempts to explain how the promise that God once gave to Abraham has been fulfilled to all those who have put their faith in Jesus. That law that came so much later than the promise was only an interim. It it was mainly given to Israel, once, once they were liberated from Egypt, to convince them that they were sinful people who needed the grace of God who needed a whole system of daily reconciliation with God. So it needed to convict them of their sin. And that this was the purpose of the law, and not just a set of moral standards, but it was the purpose of the law to convict them of their sin. That's pretty simple to to prove. What's the summary of the law? Isn't it this? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. And your neighbor is yourself. Now can you do that? Can you love the Lord with all your heart? And the answer is no way. Admit it. And stop trying it. For you can't. And if you think you can. Or if you think that the amount of love you have for the Lord is good enough. You're just a hypocrite. A liar. So the law makes you realize your sin, which is your inability to love the Lord wholeheartedly. Paul calls that, you're a prisoner of sin. You know, what's, what's a prisoner? A prisoner might, might do uh, one gun somewhere else. He may long for his freedom, but he just can't because he is locked in. And Paul said, so you are a prisoner of your own sin. It's the law that keeps you in this prison. Now, is there a way then to get out of this prison? And praise God, there is. It is faith in Jesus Christ, your only Savior. He doesn't only pay for your sins, 
to redeem the debt you have made with God. Certainly that's an important part. You first have to receive upon repentance and faith forgiveness of sins to clear the debt. But don't be satisfied with that because that God's plan goes much further than that. God wants to make you a holy person, fully dedicated to him. And he does that by setting you free from the supervision of the law. Let's read it again, Galatians three twenty-three. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law. Locked up until faith should be revealed. See, faith is the end of the power that the law keeps over your life. You were the prisoner who had to be set free. In chapter 4, 1 and 2, Paul uses a second image. It's about the heir, an heir of a big estate. But for a while, the child is, uh, the heir is still a child. He is underaged. He cannot responsibly look after the estate. So someone else is put in charge to make decisions on behalf of the child. And this little heir can jump up and down. But he has to submit to the decisions of the guardian put over him. And if he is naughty, he will be disciplined, heir or not. So his actual position, says Paul, is not much different from a slave. And it's only after he reaches the age of responsibility that he can make his own decisions. He can bear the responsibility now. Now that's a great picture of people who are heirs of the kingdom but who haven't come to age yet. They are kept under control by the law. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't go there. We've all been there, says Paul. Verse 3. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. We had to stick to the law. And yet, life was never satisfactory. We felt there's something wrong. It always fell short of God's standards. We might not dare to steal. But there was this desire in our heart to get more than we were entitled to. There was no contentment with what the Lord has given us. We might not fall in actual sexual sin. But we harbored, in the meantime, all kind of lusts in our heart. And the law couldn't set us free from that. Recently, I heard a man talking to a group of Christian men about the dangers of getting addicted to pornography. And he had a lot of practical advice, how to protect yourself from that, how to deal with, with all that in order to, to fight it, to stop it. Now, I think his intentions were good. But I couldn't help thinking that he was just suggesting that we put ourselves under strict laws, which, which might have some effect, but which can never free us from the lusts of our hearts. 
And I believe that Paul in the letter to the Galatians shows a much better way. Don't place yourself under a law as if you are a slave who needs to be controlled by disciplinary measures. But Paul says, you have to realize who you are. You're not a slave. You're a son. Let's read it again. 3.23. Before this faith came, we were held prisoners by the law, locked up until faith should be revealed. So the law was put in charge to lead us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. Now that faith has come, we are no longer under the supervision of the law. See, there's, there's something good about being supervised by the law. For a while in your life, we all were. When we were children, for, for a long time in my life, I didn't do all the bad things that I was not supposed to do. But it was, that was before I became a real Christian in my heart. I might have wanted to do certain things, but I didn't do it because of all oh, it's wrong. Don't do that. And something good came from that. Because I might have ended up in a totally different life, in a lot of misery, and have mucked it up completely before the age of 25. But I didn't, thanks to the law. So there's something good about it. But at the same time, the law did something different as well. That took time too. Before you have faith in Jesus Christ, true faith in him, you're held prisoner by the law. And that's, that's, never, that's not a positive thing, of course, held prisoner by the law. That's what Paul says. But Paul says something good, it did something good. The law created in you a desire for something more. For someone bigger. In other words, the law leads us to Jesus Christ, to know him. And that's faith. Faith is about believing in Jesus Christ and through him loving the Lord and your neighbor. So when you have received faith, the law has done its work. You're not a prisoner anymore. You don't need to be led to Christ anymore. It has done its work. It has accomplished what it tried to accomplish. So Paul says, you have received faith now. And therefore, live by faith then. And don't return to the law. Because then you are moving backwards. Away from faith in God. Away from relying on his grace. On his power. You're back to relying on your own efforts to do it better. Back to the misery of having to deal with a bad conscience all the time. How can you do it? You foolish Galatians. But friends, let's better bring this message to ourselves at well. Paul is warning us. You foolish Christians here in, sitting in church. You do it all the time. Moving back from grace. Walking straight into your old legalism once again. And we have been freed from that. And why do we do that over and over again? I can answer that for myself. You have to answer it for yourself. I do it because it feels more comfortable. If, my, if I have my life pretty much under control, that feels good. 
But there are two serious problems with that. First one is this. I do not live by grace any longer, but I find my security in the law or in the rules that I've kept. The second problem is, I have lowered my standard by not striving anymore to become like Jesus, but just sticking to the law. And if I lower my standards, that stops my spiritual growth. Back to the point we started with, why had Jesus to be circumcised? He had to fulfill the whole law in order to redeem us. And now it comes, Galatians 4 verse 5, that we might receive the full rights of sons, adopted by God as sons. And that means we have become responsible adults now through faith in Jesus Christ. And therefore, we do not need the boundaries that the law sets upon us. See, to little children, we still say, and we have to, don't do this, don't do that, don't go there. Why do we say such things? We do it to protect them, because we know that doing certain things or going certain places is dangerous. But as adults, we know what is safe and what is dangerous. And we just don't go there. We don't even want to do it. And we don't need anyone telling us that. That is maturity. That freedom, freedom of of making choice in your own responsibility, that makes you a mature Christian. And once you're on that path, you want to keep going and growing. Now, how do you know that you're a son and not a slave? Paul explains it in verse 6, Galatians 4. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. That is the key, friends. When you turn to Jesus in repentance and faith, you will receive the Holy Spirit in you. First, faith and repentance, I said. See, repentance, that is the the conviction in your heart, worked by the law, that you are a sinner in need of salvation. You can't do yourself what you know that you have to do in order to escape the wrath of a righteous God. That is repentance. The next thing is faith in Jesus Christ. You have to accept in faith that he is your only option to be saved and that he has fulfilled the law that you couldn't. You have to make that choice. And you have to tell God that you do make that choice and that you commit yourself to follow Jesus. And upon this faith and repentance, you will experience that God has adopted you. Because then there's never before, you will cry out to God, you are my father in heaven. It sounds a little bit here as if the Holy Spirit is only saying that. 
But in, in Romans 8, it says, the Spirit says, with our spirit, Abba, Father. It's the same thing. It's the Holy Spirit making you tell, making you say, oh, Father in heaven. Now, I can love you. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you, Lord, for giving me your Holy Spirit. And not a set of rules anymore. For it's the Spirit who enables me to follow Jesus. It is the Spirit who enables me to crucify my sinful desires. That, friends, is living by the Spirit. And that's so much more productive than living by the law. For it leads to maturity in Christ. And that's what Paul is on about in this letter to the Galatians. And he repeats it over and over again. Have a look at chapter 5, verse 18. He says, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. And then an encouragement, verse 25, also chapter 5. Since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. A few final words in conclusion. Let's celebrate the fact that we live in a new covenant with God. The old has become obsolete and must disappear. And don't you ever return to it in your foolishness. For in the new covenant, God's people are controlled by the Holy Spirit. There is a new power in them that's not from themselves. It's certainly not willpower. It is the power of God himself. And that power is called grace. Give up trying to improve your life in your own strength. Instead, pray for the Spirit to control you more, to enable you more to crucify your old nature. Pray for the power of God's grace in your life. Pray for the Spirit to make you more like Jesus. And that that grace that God gives is a wonderful thing. Paul was encouraged by the Lord when he was really struggling. And then the Lord said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. That grace was not God's, God's favor or so. No, that was God's power. Because Paul, Paul was weak. And in your weakness, if you admit your weakness, then God gives this grace. Then this strength comes in from him. My grace is sufficient for you. Friends, that same thing applies to each of us. And God is telling us, my grace is sufficient for you. May the grace of the Lord be with you in abundance. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word in which you encourage us and also challenge us. And we need to hear it over and over again. Because just like the Galatians. We are inclined to return. To the law. To make life more simple for us. Lord help us. Never to be satisfied. With not transgressing certain laws. On the outside. But Lord. Grant us a new heart. And give that we live it out by the power of your spirit.
Lord, make us grow and make us more like the Lord Jesus himself, who in all things submitted to you. And was always asking himself the question, Heavenly Father, what do you want me to say? What do you want me to do? And Lord, help us to take our clue from that, that we also ask, what want you us to do and to say? And help us to submit to your will. Give us a clear guidance in where we are going. And Lord, bless us. As you have blessed us so many times. Thank you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you that he came to this world. And thank you that he came to die for us. In order to make us citizens of his kingdom. To make us children of a heavenly father. To make us co-heirs of the enormous inheritance that awaits Jesus, which is the new earth. Lord, thank you that you promise, have promised to make us part of that. And Lord, we know that all your promises stand. Like the promise you once gave to Father Abraham, you fulfilled it to the last letter. And Lord, thank you that you are a God who never lies, who is even prepared to confirm your promises with an oath in your own name. Lord, thank you for all that. Help us to live it. Be with us in the, in the coming weeks, the coming time. Um, continue to guide us and help us to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.